Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Groovy Tube. The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yes. And this is... This is our episode 27. Yep. And it's from the Brady Bunch. It's season five, episode 16. Wow. Out of this world. Yes. And this is another classic. I'll have stuff to say about two of the characters we see at the beginning, Mario Machado and General, but also astronaut McDivitt. McDivitt, uh, But I'll save that for the end. Okay. So the first scene is not the Brady house. It's the exterior of a building. And I think it's the same one they've showed before that has served for many things. And then we're inside a TV studio and the host of the show introduces Jim McDivitt who was from the second manned Gemini flight. He's on the show, which is called News Event, to discuss all the recent UFO sightings. The host's name is Mario Machado. He's an actual person, and Jim McDivitt is a real person. He's a brigadier general at the time of the show. The Gemini flight was... Well, he did too. I'll talk about it at the end, though. Okay. He did the last flight before the moonwalk, too. Mario asks Jim McDivitt, he's like, you know, you said you saw a ufo on your flight and he said yeah i saw a small white object while i was on my flight mario asked him well do you think there's a chance there's life elsewhere and and McDivitt, he said yeah there's a probability of life elsewhere in the universe we're not the only planet and after the show peter and bobby are getting the general's autograph mm-hmm. and peter is wearing a pink shirt with this vest that almost looks like a tank top vest over his shirt. Yellow, red, and white. It's very bright. Right. And it looks like it's almost like too small. It's, it's weird. It's very weird. weird out. And Bobby is wearing the same type of vest. It's shaped like a tank top, but it must be like a knit vest. But his is brown. But Peter's really yeah. stuck out to me. And anyway, Peter wants him to sign the autograph to his good friend, Peter. Mm-hmm. And Bobby wants the same thing because he's Peter's brother. So they're all good friends. And on their podcast, The Real Brady Bros, Chris Knight said he was very excited. He was very into space. He was very excited to meet Jim McDivitt. Yes. And McDivitt says, I could always use another friend. And actually, (laughs) after his UFO signing, he could use some friends. And we'll talk about that. Bobby asked General McDivitt if anyone was in the UFO. And he says he couldn't see, but maybe. Well, Bobby wasn't paying attention to the interview because McDivitt already told Mario Machado that he couldn't see it very well. It was too small, I know. He shakes Bobby's hand and Bobby says he won't wash for a month. And Peter says, big deal, you wouldn't anyway. Now it's the Brady house at night. The clock in the boys' room says it's almost midnight. Peter and Bobby are both asleep. There's a funny noise. It sounds to me like one of those theremins, like, woo. Yeah. And Bobby wakes up and he he wakes Peter up. He says, do you hear a weird noise? And Peter says, yeah, you yapping. (laughs) And Peter does wake up and they go and look out the window and see this fake looking red thing floating around. And they are awestruck. It's a UFO. Oh my God, look, it's a UFO. And now it's daylight in the kitchen. Alice is juggling bagged lunches while the kids minus Greg eat breakfast. She really has to pick up all the lunches at once. And it looks like she has more than six. She can't leave them on the counter and say here are your lunches they're like two feet away bobby and peter are telling the girls about the ufo marcia makes fun of them asking if they saw little green people cindy thinks it was a helicopter but bobby says no there was no propeller and jan says well it was a blimp and bobby's like no there's no advertising 
Mm-hmm. And Greg comes in and he has a cut lip. He says it's from shaving. And I want to say Barry Williams. Oh, do you know? Okay. You're going to talk about it later. No, we can talk about oh. it now if you like. It wasn't just a cut lip. He had had a car accident in his neighborhood. Somebody had actually, it was a front end. He was just driving down the street. He was going really slow and he slowed down more, but this car just came at him and his head hit the windshield and his lip got cut on the steering wheel. And he said that the inside, it it was like cut all the way. It was a really bad cut and he had stitches. And that's why through the whole thing, he's wearing that bandaid and they had to like, yeah, he said he went to, in his book, he doesn't give that description of the accident and actually makes it sound like the accident was his fault. But Hmm. he, yeah, because the book was written a lot longer ago than the podcast, but he went to the set and Lloyd Schwartz is like, Hey, what the hell was that? You can't go on with that so they put the band-aid on and it was like greg cut himself shaving and barry williams like yeah what did greg shave with a lawnmower you know know. they addressed it and then they just didn't talk about the rest of the show they tell greg about the ufo and he's skeptical and no one believes the two boys and laugh at them and bobby says he and peter are good friends with a real astronaut who saw the ufo Mm -hmm. and greg says he'll believe in ufos when he sees one or sees a photograph that's believable. On the way out, Bobby asks Alice if she believes in UFOs. She says if she can believe she's 28 and 103 pounds, she can believe anything. Yeah. And then she starts to clear up the kitchen. Right. And of course, Alice has to be negatively objectified for no reason. Even whatsoever. though she, like I said, she looks good to me. Yeah. If she didn't have that matronly haircut, I think she's a very attractive person. Yeah. Now we're in the family room and Alice is setting up a still life with fruit and wine while Carol is focusing her camera. And now, of course, Carol has some interest hobby that we've never seen before and we're never going to see again. And also, it looks like a shitty still life, first of all, which is fine. Thank you. But there's no backdrop. Right. It's for a contest. What right. is she going to have the frigging kitchen and that pass right. through? And, the and, be- and she has this basket of fruit, a thing of that cheap Chianti wine with the wicker thing. And then don't know. A vase with a flower. A vase like- with a flower in it. And like they're not set up in any yeah. kind of interesting or attractive way. And there's yeah. no backdrop. And it's like if she's entering a contest, she's going to fucking lose it. I know. Then Mike. <laughs> Mike comes in and takes an apple to eat and Carol like grabs it out of his mouth. She (laughs) says she's taking a photograph for a contest and Mike says it looks kind of staged and she kicks him out. Then Cindy and Jan come in and grab pieces of fruit too. So Carol gives up and she eats the apple. Yeah. And you know, the subplot ties in, but it's so stupid. It does So opportunistic. It is because... It'd be great if Carol had a thriving photography hobby. But, and then later we even see her developing film and it's like, we've never heard about this before and it's never going to happen again. I know. So it's the kitchen after school. Bobby and Peter come in. Mike and Carol are standing at the counter. So Mike's (laughs) home from work early as usual. For a change. The boys say no one believes them. All the kids at school think they're lying. Mike says maybe Carol can take a picture if the UFO shows up. Again, mm-hmm. and he's kind of like making fun he's of Carol. He's being condescending, yeah. They ask if they can borrow her camera in case it comes back. And she says, okay, but be careful with it. And it's like, I wouldn't lend them, especially back then. Right. A camera, a good camera that's yeah. expensive. Yeah. Peter says they can camp out in the backyard in case it comes back. And Mike isn't so sure. It's a school night. Mm. But he says, okay, if they make sure to get some sleep. And yeah. also, 
he says don't wake us up if the ufo yeah lands. right <laughs> so they're in the backyard it's nighttime peter has set up the camera and they are watching the sky and mm. jan and cindy come out in their robes of- those robes get more uncomfortable looking every show they're not even just a terry cloth robe with no they're thing. like button up. elaborate button up with bows and i shit know they're weird them. uh they just come out to give them shit they don't there's right. no reason for them to be there and then they leave and the boys are about to go to sleep, but they hear that noise and they look up and see the UFO and they get up to take the photos. Meanwhile, we see Greg up in his bedroom projecting a light. He's got a flashlight and he's blowing the whistle, making the noise <laughs> while Peter's taking pictures. <laughs> and Marsha comes up to Greg's room to give him back. And she his just thermos. walks in. She just like walks in without knocking or anything. Well, everybody does. He doesn't really have a door. The doors at the I know, but you can like say knock knock. I know. Something. I know. I mean, he's an, a 17 or 18 year old guy. He could be up there jerking off. I know. You know, she catches what he's doing because she's like, What are you doing with that flashlight? And then he explains it to her and she says it's a dirty trick. Mm-hmm. And he says he's getting even with them for telling mom and dad he got home late Saturday night. And Marsha's on board because they squealed on her too. Yeah, and I'm like, finally some trickery. It's been so long. It's been a long time. So supposedly he's figured out this thing where he has this clear plastic sheet or something that he can project the flashlight with the cellophane over it to make it look like the UFO, and he can use the clothesline thing to make the sheet. I guess no one's going to hear it. I know the sheet going behind the trees. It was way more elaborate than it had to be. Yes. And Marsha wants to try it. So she tries it too. And while they're doing that, Peter's taking photos and he says they're going to be famous. Now we're in Mike and Carol's bedroom. And I just want to, before, did you see? This is the biggest mystery on on this episode. Before they show them in the bedroom, they show the exterior of the house. The light's on up in the window up there. The light's on in what should be Mike's study. Then it shows the bedroom, and they're in there. So who's in Mike's study? And then mm. and then shortly after, it shows the house again, and it shows the light in the study go off. I'm just saying. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, right. I didn't notice that. Alice is probably in there. That's true, yeah. Um, Writing her memoir that's going to shred them. My life is an indentured servant. Right. Carol showing him pictures of the kids and they're double exposed. Peter and Bobby come in and they're like, we saw the UFO and we got pictures of it. And they want Carol to develop the film immediately. But she says it's too late. She's put all her equipment away. We'll have to do it tomorrow. And she asks Mike, what do you think they saw, Mike? Like, as if he knows. Right. Well, he's a man, so he would know more than she would. She's like, oh, anything. Mike. And he's like, anything's possible. Let's go. Come on. Let's go get it on. Get- right. I'll show uh, you my UFO. <laughs> <laughs> it's cigar shape. We're in the boys' room. Bobby is sleeping. And he has a dream. He's in the backyard. His dreams always take place in the backyard. And do you notice Bobby's the only one who gets to have these dreams? I know. He had the one about Joe Namath. And he's had other ones. Although Peter had the one about the ball, but that wasn't really a dream. That was like a recurring bad. That was like a night terror. Just shows that they favor 
him that little well, boy is he, i mean he's a good actor and everybody liked him and stuff and he definitely gets the best scenes and the best shit a spaceship lands in their backyard it says ufo on the spaceship the hatch opens up and a little guy comes out he's wearing like a silver spacesuit and he's got a like a clear ball on his head and he's got like a red pinkish red afro and the lady a little lady comes out they call bobby a space creature and they tell him they're from the planet caplutus and they want to take bobby with them the um space people are played by the people who had been stand-ins for bobby and cindy Mm -hmm. until the kids got too big and it's frank and sadie delfino which is why the aliens talk like they're from new york city or something and lloyd schwartz says from the beginning of the show we use little people as stand-ins for the kids and we did it for a couple of logical reasons they didn't have to worry about school they could work longer Mm -hmm. hours they did a good job and they became very valuable members of the crew but the problem was that as the kids grew frank and sadie didn't It finally got to the point where they had to walk around the set with customized boxes, Mm -hmm. which they'd stand on to approximate the kid's height. For example, Frankie had a Bobby box and a Peter box that was a little bigger. Sadie had the female equivalent, but they couldn't move around the set on these boxes, and that caused all sorts of problems whenever we had to rehearse in any action scene. Finally, during the third or fourth season, somebody from ABC came up to me one day and said, fire them. And I said... Fuck off. We'll put Mm. up with it. They're part of the family. Yeah, right. Every once in a while, if you look very closely at an episode, you'll find them as extras in a scene. But the really perfect part for them was in this episode playing the friendly Caplutians. And by the way, if you're at all interested in couch potato type trivia, Frank's line, one small step for spacemen, one giant leap for Caplutians, was ad-libbed by Frank as we shot. (laughs) So was Sadie's, come on, honey, let's go. I liked that. (laughs) They threw him in to break up the crew and were so successful that we left them in. I thought that was cute. But also I wanted to say that according to Barry or Chris, they paid for those little boxes themselves so they could keep their job. But also... And do you notice Lloyd always glosses over anything that would make him look bad or whatever? But also, I think that they could have either worn platform shoes or stilts or something. Right. Some kind of a thing. But whatever. It doesn't matter. So anyways. And did you also notice Tigger's house loomed in that scene next to Bobby? So that was part of Bobby's dream, I guess. I didn't notice that. I'll have to look again. So they want to take Bobby with them. And he goes into the flying saucer, but Peter wakes him up before we see the inside, mm-hmm. which I was disappointed by. Oh, yeah, is- although he maybe he would have gotten the anal probe or whatever, ah. so it's just as well. And Bobby says he was going to be a basketball star on Caplutus, and Peter looks very confused mm-hmm. by that. Now we're in the dark room, which is, I guess, the laundry room. I was trying to figure out where. Yeah, I it's couldn't figure out what house. room it was. Carol is developing the photos. Peter's wearing that weird vest again. Mm-hmm. I noticed you could even tell in the darkroom light. Alice is serving flapjacks out in the in the kitchen, which I wish I had. Marsha and Greg are leaving for school. They've already eaten. They are interested in seeing the photos. 
interestingly enough. I wonder mm-hmm. why. Cindy asks Alice if she thinks they saw a UFO. Jan says they saw something shaped like a cigar, which is kind of weird because that it was not was shaped not like shaped a, it was not shaped like a cigar. <laughs> Maybe she was talking. To <laughs> she saw something shaped like a cigar. Peter and Bobby come running in, so that's why I thought it was the laundry room because it's like coming running in from that back area. Yeah, where Alice, who lives next to the laundry room, so she can serve them better. Carol comes running in and too. Carol's and Carol's wearing have... a house dress. Did you see a house dress with like rip wrap on it? She had that rick rack dress on. Yeah. Yes, it has little apples or something right they want to show everyone the photos and the photos don't look like the thing that they saw no they don't at all like but whatever peter wants to call the newspapers but carol says they have to wait until mike gets home so he can look at them now what nothing happens to work because these kids are leaving for For school. school And yeah. Mike's already gone to work. Maybe right. that's why he gets well, up the, so early. Like, I know. Does he go to work at like six in the morning? But nothing can happen without Mike's No, Mike, approval. Mike, Mike has and, got to have control yes. of everything. Now we're in Mike's den. Mike is looking at the photos. He tells Carol it's hard to tell. Then he calls the operator and asks for the number for Carter Air Force Base. See, that's a robbery thing. He called the operator. Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. Number. We're in the living room. Alice is cleaning or dusting. That's about all she does. Sometimes I think they show her vacuuming, but the doorbell rings. It's a policeman, though. It's Captain McCartney. Yes, with a New York accent. Yes. And he's here to investigate a UFO sighting. And she's like, I thought the Air Force investigated those. And Captain McCartney says they refuse to investigate things that don't exist. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to either, but he's only two years away from retirement, so he'll do it. He's very salty. Yes. In the family room, the cop, Alice, Mike, Carol, and the kids, minus Greg and Marsha, are all sitting around. Captain McCartney is looking at the photos. He asks if the photos are legit. He says it could be anything, but it's definitely not a UFO. And Mike says, how do you know? And Captain McCartney says, because they don't exist. That is a typical example of confirmation bias by a policeman since it doesn't exist that evidence cannot show one and also earlier like he says it could be swamp gases and i love the way bobby says we don't have a swamp in our backyard (laughs) and just the way he says it it's not like in a cute kid way but it's about you big stupid fat fuck (laughs) greg and marcia come in and carol fills them in Greg says he needs to talk to Mike. It's urgent. And then they show up in Greg's room. Greg is showing Mike how the UFO works. Why does he have to do that? Can't he just say, look, I rigged up this thing. I'll show it to you later. But then that But no, he has to demonstrate. uh, Well, he's proud of it. Back in the family room, the cop is saying, you know, I wasted enough time. And he's standing up to leave. And then he hears he hears that noise and woo, and he's like, "What's that?" And he runs to the window and he sees the UFO. Mm-hmm. They all run to the window except Marcia. Now, why wouldn't you run outside? I would run outside. I wouldn't just yes. stand at the window unless you're afraid it's going to abduct you. Oh yeah, that could be. So they all run. And Marcia does not, and she's kind of like she's like, "Uh oh." The cop says, "Where's the phone? I have to report this." Marsha tries to stop him from using the phone, mm-hmm. but he calls the air defense commander. 
He wants a photo of himself reporting it to. He's like, <laughs> ask Peter to take yeah. a picture of him. Now we're back in Greg's room and Greg's apologizing to Mike. And Mike says it was a silly thing to do. I'd be like, it's more than silly. And you're right. involved. Like, you should have right. stopped it. The before. police. Right. And Greg says, he better explain. He wonders what Captain McCartney will say. Mm. I was surprised he remembered his name. I just yeah. met him. Now Captain McCartney is up in Greg's room and he's flipping out about the whole because he's gonna look like an idiot he's saying he knew it was fake and Mm -hmm. so he and greg have an agreement that captain cartman won't tell on greg if greg doesn't tell on him right so i guess it's just gonna go down as another report or something i don't know that right nobody can here's the tag in the kitchen carol admonishes greg for his prank carol and mike and greg are sitting at the table drinking coffee or whatever greg says He has to make it up to Peter and Bobby. And Mike tells Greg he's grounded and he he cannot use the car. But it's Greg's fishing trip. Mm. All the guys are expecting him. And Mm. Mike's like, too bad. And And Mike is relishing the chance to punish. He really loves to punish. He does love it. He's always so serious about it. Sorry. Greg says, but how am I going to get there without a car? And Carol says, you can hitch a ride on a UFO. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, can't Marsha just drive him up there and drop him off? Can't one of his friends? Or one of his friends get him? What, what, they live up there? Right. He can hitchhike. It's the 70s. That's what people do. Right. I have some interesting stuff about Jim McDowell. Of it. Oh, yes. I would and like to. I'll do Mario Machado first. It's yes. funny when it showed him, I'm like, boy, for a guy with an Italian sounding name, he looks Asian to me. Well, it yeah. turns out he's Mario Jose de Souza Machado. He was a Portuguese Chinese American oh. television and radio broadcaster and actor. He made television history when, in 1970, he became the first American of Chinese heritage to be an on-air television news reporter and anchor in Los Angeles, and perhaps the nation. That's according to Wikipedia. And the movies he was in, where he either played a reporter or an interview for most of them, Uh Brian Song, Ah. Oh God, Uh. Concord Airport 79, (laughs) Rocky Three, Scarface, Blue Thunder, which he played himself. St. Elmo's Fire, he played somebody named Kim Sung Ho. RoboCop, where he played somebody named Casey Wong. All the other ones he played a reporter or interviewer or something. Dead Man Walking, which he played himself. Jack's Back, RoboCop 2, RoboCop 3, Casas de Fuego, and an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn, where he played himself. So that's him. Jim McDevitt died in October 2022 at the age of 93. He commanded the Apollo 9 mission, testing the first complete set of equipment to go to the moon. He was also the commander of 1965's Gemini 4 mission, where his best friend and colleague Ed White made the first U.S. spacewalk, and he photographed White during the spacewalk, which became iconic images. It says in his obit that he passed on a chance to land on the moon and instead became the space agency's program manager for the five Apollo missions. He said in an interview that he knew just the order of things and how things were going. He wasn't going to be the first guy to walk on the moon. And so he took this better job or something. Hmm. Interesting. But, I'd still want to walk on the moon. I know. It's, I think it's more complicated than that, but let's yeah. get to the UFO thing. In his first flight in 1965... McDivitt reported seeing something out there. It was the shape of a beer can, and it was flying outside his Gemini spaceship. Hmm. 
People called it a UFO, which he didn't originally call it, and McDivitt would later joke that he became a world-renowned UFO expert. He was on a lot of TV shows around that time, including Dick Cabot. It says in his obit, years later, he figured it was just a reflection of bolts in the window, which isn't exactly true. I think he was pressured to stop talking about it, and Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a little more. I read an article about it years ago where he was pretty much made fun of and vilified, but also the government wanted to. But a lot of things don't say that. But in this 2020 story by Sebastian Ketley that appeared in the Daily Express in Britain, the second day of that Gemini Flight 65 is when McDevitt saw the object. In 1975, he said, at the time I saw it, I said there was something out in front of me or outside the spacecraft that I couldn't identify, and I never have been able to identify it, and I don't think anybody ever will. We were in drifting flight, and my partner, Ed White, was asleep. I couldn't see anything out in front of me except just the black sky, and it was rotating around. I noticed something out in front that was a white cylindrical shape with a white pole sticking out of the corner of it. It looked like a beer can with a smooth pencil sticking out. Hmm. He grabbed his camera and took a few photos of it, but he did not correctly focus or expose the photographs to properly capture the UFO. He did, however, later guess the object was floating fairly close to his spacecraft since he could see it. He said, I grabbed two cameras and took pictures. As the sun shone on the window, I could no longer see out and the thing just disappeared. They checked NORAD records to see what, and that's the big radar thing, to Mm -hmm. see what they had had up on radar, and there wasn't anything within very close range of us. After the astronauts returned to Earth and the mission's photographs were processed, the pictures failed to reveal what he had seen. He said, Mm. I've seen the photos that were released. I went back and went through each frame of all the pictures that we took, and there wasn't anything in there like what I had seen. Huh. At the time, some journalists speculated the astronaut may have seen a secret satellite because there's a lot of that going around the Cold War thing. However, experts speculate there's a much simpler explanation. The UFO was likely orbital debris from the Gemini 4's launch. Mm. According to James Oberg, a former space engineer and rocket scientist, the Gemini 4 case cannot be conclusively closed, but the astronaut might have seen part of NASA's Titan 11 rocket. He wrote on his blog, McDivitt, more than a decade after the fact, refused to believe he could have misidentified that object, but both his degraded eyesight and different viewing angle at the time of the sighting eliminate any reliability from that claim, and years of UFO research have taught us that the surprising lesson that pilots are, in truth, among the poorest observers of UFOs, because of their instinctive pattern of perceiving visual stimuli, primarily in terms of threats to their own vehicles. Huh. Lastly, this coincidence must be considered that Gemini 4, and this is still Oberg, was only one of 10 manned flights in which a rendezvous was attempted and nearly accomplished with a beer can-shaped target, and that Gemini 4 was the only flight on which a crewman reported seeing an unidentified beer can-shaped object. And then there's a note added in 1995, Oberg says, Gemini 7 also performed this feat, and Gemini 7 also had a bogey UFO story associated with it. Hmm. So I'm not sure exactly, well, I think I'd have to know more about it to know exactly what they were saying there. But it says that during the time, the debris and the Gemini 4 crew were within NORAD's thousand mile range, and it is therefore likely that the astronaut witnessed the Titan booster stage which I think is what boosted 
Yeah. I mean, but I do remember reading an article that I couldn't find that he got a ton of shit. It didn't keep him from becoming a brigadier general and stuff, but he got a ton of shit. And I think he was under pressure from the government. He didn't start calling it a UFO. He was very precise that he just saw something, took some pictures. It was a UFO because he couldn't identify it. Yeah. But he wasn't saying Not it was necessarily a craft, right, yeah. right, or anything else. I mean, it could have been anything. And like nowadays, there's so much shit flying around up there. Yeah, you know, you but know, back so, but then there back wasn't. Back then there wasn't. And I do think people try to find logical explanations. Yeah. And I don't think it's impossible that he saw something. You know, but... you never know. And like I've thought about this a lot because I do agree that you know you. We're obviously not the only one. Ob- you don't know our perception is for things that that, that we fit recognize with our perception. Right? There could be uh, UFOs all the time that we just aren't seeing. For right. however, and the other thing would be the size. They could right. be microscopic right. because we don't. Right. Ours. It's not necessarily a size that's gonna be the same as us. Right. I mean, we we think of everything as as being the same size as us, and if we see a UFO, it's gonna be. Made out of, of the UFO. same materials we're familiar with. But it with could and, be something right. that was so small we can't even see it. Right. We don't know. And whatever he saw, too, it might have been close to him and he thought it was that size. Who knows when you're up right. in the space what your perception is. And I do is. think it's interesting. It could have been something that's totally far away. I do think it's interesting that his photos disappeared because mm. he wasn't like the Brady's where he went and developed yeah. his own pictures. He gave the film because he had taken pictures of yes. Ed White walking. Yeah, those were I, fine. I do think whatever it was or wasn't that the government, especially back then, was very antsy about people yakking about stuff like yes. that. And I think his pictures were destroyed. He, there are some interesting stories. I wish like, I could have found that thing I read where he was, this was several years ago, where he was really, he was really heavily vilified and um, sure. he was mocked. He ended up changing his story, not really changing his story, but diminishing yeah. how he felt about it over the years. And it's funny how his obit said that he concluded it was sunspots or whatever when even that thing written in 2020 was like no if it was anything it was pieces of gemini yeah you know the but i feel kind of bad for the guy there was i think it was an unsolved mysteries not the one of the people in massachusetts but there was one over was it over lake michigan, michigan yeah it was a michigan yeah that was real that, that was, was a really weird story yeah. things that make you wonder who are we to question and I mean, like who are we to say that there's no nothing? i'm not gonna say there isn't anything I don't think anything's landed and taken people onto their, but who knows? Maybe they have. Like that one in New Hampshire that I've thought of doing an episode of Crime and Stuff on. Oh, they uh, have the, the Toby Ball has. Couple that, yeah, yeah, Toby Ball has a oh, has he? Uh, podcast about them. Oh, does he? Never mind then. Yeah. So we should probably get going. And so as we get closer to what I know, all of our listeners are anxiously waiting for. Our next episode is Welcome Aboard. Ah. And you know what happens there? Speaking yeah. of jumping the shark. Yeah. And we'll have a lot to say in that episode. And that and is season five, episode 17. 17. Of the Brady Bunch. And it will be episode 28 of Groovy Tube. Wow. But until then. You know what? I was just going to say before we end. 
when I think back on the show, I always feel like Cousin Oliver was in a lot more yeah, episodes he's in, than he's he in, was. Yeah, he's in six. And I know a few episodes ago, I talked about, several episodes ago, I talked about Lloyd Schwartz's take on the kids with the new agent and everything. I came across Barry Williams' account, which is a little different than Lloyd's, and I haven't found a good episode to fit it into, but okay. I think when we begin to wind down on season five and the show gets canceled and stuff, we can, okay. I'll go back and revisit that. And okay. um, So two weeks from now, the big one, folks, the one you've all been waiting for. <laughs> Thank Next- you for listening. Stay groovy. <laughs>